Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishers. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, those who called themselves fishers held meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. They carefully defined what fishing means. They defended fishing as an occupation and declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of fishers. They continually searched for improved methods of fishing, for new and better definitions of fishing. They loved slogans such as, fishing is the task of every fisher. They sponsored special meetings called Fisher's Campaigns. They held congresses to discuss fishing, to promote fishing, and to hear about the new methods of fishing and whether any new bait had been discovered. These fishers built large, beautiful buildings, and they called them fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisher, and every fisher should fish. However... There was one thing they didn't do, and that was fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishers to other places where there were many fish. The board was formed by those who had the great vision and courage to speak about fishing, to define fishing, and to promote the idea of fishing in faraway streams and lakes where many fish of different colors lived. But one thing they didn't do was fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built to teach people how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the psychological reactions of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology. (laughs) But no matter how well they taught... One thing the good Dr. Fishers forgot was to fish. Now, it's true that many of the fishers sacrificed, and they put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water, and they bore the smell of dead fish every day. Some received the ridicule of people who made fun of their fishing clubs, So imagine how hurt some of them were when one day someone suggested that those who don't catch fish are not really fishers, no matter how much they claim to be. I mean, after all, how can someone be a fisher if he or she isn't fishing? We're finishing up our Everyone series this weekend, and we've been challenged to gather, to grow, and to give. And today, the fourth G, to go with the gospel, all for the glory of God. Here's a review of what we've learned. Under gather, we establish this truth. The church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. Under growing, spiritual growth is 
Well, it's intentional. You have to go after it. You have to practice the disciplines. It's not automatic. It's not going to just happen to you somehow. And then under giving, no one can give everything. But everyone can give something. Here's our main idea for today. The last commission of Jesus must be the first mission of the church. Our text today is in Matthew chapter 28, the last verses. But before we get there, let me set the context. So Jesus has been raised from the dead. He appeared to several women, and then he appeared to the disciples. Shortly after this, we pick up the narrative. If you want to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 28, I want to direct us to verses 16 and 17. Now the 11 disciples, well, because Judas is out of this picture now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Uh, But don't miss this last phrase. But some doubted. Interestingly, the crucifixion, resurrection happened in Jerusalem. That's the capital in the south. Jesus now directs the disciples to travel 90 miles to the north and to meet with him on a mountain. Many commentators believe that's Mount Arbel, actually to the west of the Sea of Galilee. Now, this was predicted in Matthew 26, 32. Jesus said, but after I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. Well, why Galilee? Well, that's where Jesus did the majority of his ministry, but it's also an appropriate place to launch the Great Commission because Galilee in Matthew chapter 4, verse 15, is referred to as Galilee of the Gentiles. Would you note the two responses the disciples had? Some worshiped. That word for worship means they hit the ground. It's like they fell on their faces. They bowed in worship and praise to him. But observe, while some worshiped, others waffled. The word for doubt means to be divided in half. They're uncertain. They're wavering. So they just spent three years with Jesus, watched him be crucified, and now raised from the dead. They've seen him alive. They're on top of this mountain. This is shortly before Jesus ascends into heaven, and some of the disciples doubted. They're hesitant. They're not ready to make a decision. I find it fascinating Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their doubts. He doesn't DQ them because they have doubts. But also notice he doesn't reject the worship of those who revered him either. Some found great delight in him. Others doubted. Most of them were focused and faithful, but some were filled with fear. Now, now, before we start judging on the disciples, aren't you the same way? I am. There's times where I'm, I'm living by faith and I'm trusting God, and there's other times doubt creeps in, and that can lead to hesitation and indecision. Sometimes we're devoted, and other times we doubt. 
Write this down. Doubt doesn't disqualify you from disciple making. You don't have to have all your doubts removed before Jesus will use you. One of my favorite verses in this regard is Mark chapter 9, verse 24, when a father declared these words, wanting to trust Jesus, wanting to believe. He says this, I believe, help my unbelief. He's like, I'm in, in, Jesus, I want to believe. I know you can do it, but I got all this unbelief going on as well. Now, before we consider our passage today, known as the Great Commission, I want to take a step back and share the results of a survey that George Barna did. I've shared these uh, several years ago, but it's important for us to consider this again. So this is a national survey of people who go to church. When asked if churchgoers had heard of the Great Commission, 51% said they didn't even recognize that term. 25% said they heard of it, but they didn't know what it means. If you add those two together, that means shockingly, 76% have no clue what the Great Commission is all about. And sadly, only 17% have heard of the Great Commission and know what it means. And the results would be far different if we did that survey here because most of you are on it, you know. So to be clear, the Great Commission is found in all four Gospels, but for our purposes, uh, let's focus on the end of the book of Matthew chapter 28. If you're able to stand, would you do so as we receive our marching orders from Jesus himself, some of the last words he's going to give to his disciples, to his followers. Let's read together beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hey, thanks for reading. You can be seated. I see three parts, three elements of this commission, when properly understood, will propel us to participate in his mission. Let's look first, believe the claim of his authority. Oh, that's right from verse 18. Jesus came and he said these words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Would you note, before giving these doubters their assignment, Jesus wanted to make sure they and us that we know that he has all authority to give any command he chooses to give. One Dutch theologian captured this well. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That's mine in heaven and on earth. So here's a question, a couple of questions. Have have you given Jesus 
first place in your life. Well, you heard from one of the testimonies, Carissa's, that was a process for her, but at one point she's like, all right, I'm all in. Have you made that decision? Have you bowed and surrendered before his absolute authority? Well, perhaps you'd say, ah, Jesus is important to me, maybe even prominent in your life. But here's a question we all need to wrestle with. Is he preeminent? Is he number one? Is he what he says goes? Is that how we live our life? Do we call him Lord and yet live our lives the way we want to? Do we put the label Lord on him and just do whatever we want to do? In his book called Multiply, uh, Francis Chan writes this. By the way, our Thursday morning men's group has been studying it. Dell, are you still in that book or still in the middle of it? Okay, so if you're looking, guys, for a, a Bible study, Thursday morning meets right here in the lower level. Check out these words. Imagine Jesus walking up to the first disciples and saying something like this. Hey, would you guys mind identifying with me in some way? Oh, don't worry. I don't actually care if you do anything I do or that you change your lifestyle at all. I'm just looking for people who are willing to say they believe in me and call themselves Christians. That's absurd, isn't it? And yet, many today live like that. Yeah, I'm a Christian, He writes this, the call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is open to everyone, but we don't get to write our own job description. If Jesus is Lord, or we could say since he is Lord, then he sets the agenda. Are you with me, church? Well, right here in this passage, Jesus sets the agenda. He gives the church our final marching orders. He has all authority. He is large and he's in charge and he's in control. So settle this. The number one requirement in fulfilling the great commission is to make sure you have submitted and surrendered yourself to his authority. Because until you have, these are just going to be words today. Or you're going to have some guilt feelings pop up. Here's why. Some people, some Christians don't share their faith. Here's why. Because they know they're not living their faith. You ever been a spot when you're far from God and there's an opportunity to talk about Jesus and you're like, oh. So settle that today. Submit and surrender to him so that you can go fishing for him. The last commission of Jesus must be the first mission of the church, which leads to, number two, obey the command assigned. Once we believe the claim of his authority, oh, now we're ready to receive and obey his assignment. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So here's Jesus. He's hovering between heaven and earth, if you will. He's got one last thing to say to his followers. This is not a suggestion. This isn't an option, though for many of us and many churches, instead of the great commission, perhaps we could call it the great 
omission. This right here is his purpose and his plan for the church. Well, let's personalize it. You say, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, when we're finished here today, you'll know. This is why we're here, to live out his plan and his purpose. Let's look at the command phrase by phrase. First is go. This is an active word. It means to transport oneself, to go from one place to another, or can be translated this way, in your going. In other words, we're to make disciples in the natural course of our life wherever we go. To go is an authoritative command that expects action. As we go, and we will go, this, Jesus said, is what we must do. We're called to move, not stay still. We're to be active, not inert. I think back to Noah. He was told to go into the ark. Abram was to go to the land. Moses was to go and bring the Israelites out. This is reinforced if you're in Matthew 28. Just look at verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. That's what the angel said to the women. Go and tell. If you see verse 10, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, listen, to go. Go and tell my brothers to go. Interestingly, the first two letters of the word gospel are G-O, go. Over the years, I've uh, developed or stumbled upon a process when I'm meeting somebody and I want to see if the Lord would allow me the privilege of having a conversation about the gospel. I wrote these down. I'll pass them on to you. Perhaps you'll find them helpful and perhaps you have some other ways that you do it. Here's the first thing. Be intentional and look for someone to talk to. God, is there someone here? Someone on my campus. Look at all the Augie students here. Someone at my workplace. Someone at the coffee shop. Somebody at the baseball or softball game that you're at. Lord, who do you want me to talk to? Be intentional. Number two, take the initiative and simply start a conversation. Sometimes it's as simple as saying hello and asking someone how their day is going. Number three, expect some awkwardness. Uh, This person may be uncomfortable, and that might make you feel awkward. Plus, the evil one will do anything he can to distract and disorient you. Number four, I strive to, I don't always get this right, but I try to ask questions. Rebecca Pippard in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker, says that good evangelism is 60% asking questions. Here are four go-to questions I often use. Uh, Where would you say you are on your spiritual journey? The reason I like that question is because people have to place themselves somewhere on a journey. If I just say, are you a Christian, most people in America say what? Yes. Where are you at on your spiritual journey? Or these next two questions come from evangelism explosion. If you were to die tonight, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Or this, when you die and are standing before God and he asks you, 
why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And this one uh, almost always gets a response simply to say, after you've talked to somebody and say, hey, anything going on that I can pray for you about? And if it's the right situation in the right place, go ahead and say a quick prayer. Now you've introduced God into the conversation through the prayer. While you're talking to this individual, look for a bridge to the gospel. God, is there a way that I can bridge to the gospel? Follow the nudge of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, have some gospel resources with you like Anchor for the Soul, or like the little booklet, Soul Satisfaction. Uh, We're giving away copies, again, of Anchor for the Soul. These are free. There's a Spanish version and an English version. They're in both lobbies. We set out like 500 books, a number were taken last night. If everyone would take at least one or a couple, if you know somebody to give it to, even if you can't think of somebody to give this gospel book to now, Take it, keep it in your car, put it in your backpack, leave it at home as a way that you can give that out to someone. So recently I was at a Walgreens and I asked the cashier how her day was going. She didn't look like she was having a very good day. And she said she was having a bad day. I told her that I was sorry and I asked if something had happened. She said, well, my day started bad and it only got worse at work. I told her that I'd pray for her. When I left, and she quickly told me that she prays all the time. To which I added, oh, are you a Christ follower? Well, it became very awkward very quickly. Long pause, and she said, well, well, I go to church sometimes, but not that much. She said, I'm not a holy roller. What about you? (laughs) So I volleyed back, and I smiled, and I said, well, actually, I go to church quite a bit. (laughs) I'm a pastor. So I was able, as I left, to pray for her. But I share that story just to say that happened in a matter of seconds, right? There's people next to me waiting to check out. I just have this small window, and It's been my practice for over a year to respond to that common question in our culture, how are you, with this response. I did it this morning uh, to some uh, people. Someone says, hey, how are you? I try to say better than I deserve. And it's good because when a Christian hears that response, then we go, yeah, me too, because everything's by God's grace, right? That breath we just took, everything is by his grace, But it's a good question, a good response when you're talking to a non-Christian. I'll never forget one time somebody said, well, what do you deserve? And I said, hell. (laughs) Well, it got us into a gospel conversation. Try it out. See what happens. That's much better than just the cliche, I'm fine. How are you? An Edgewood member used this response when he was at a gym one day. And he wrote about it. He sent me an email. This is, listen to how intentional this Edgewood member is. He attends Saturday nights. I pray daily that the Lord will give me at least one person to whom I can talk to about him. Let me just stop there right now. If you get nothing else from the message, get that. Lord, today, would you allow me to talk to one person about you? Well, today, he writes, it seemed like I wouldn't get that opportunity. Then a man came into the locker room, and after making eye contact, he asked how I was doing. 
Instead of the canned response of okay, I used better than I deserve. That response launched a conversation about the Lord and church. So when I called this member to give him some props, he shared some profound insight, and I wrote it down. This is what he said. The more open we are, the more opportunities come to us. They'll come if we're open. He told me he prays, in addition, this simple prayer every day. Lord, let me see everyone as somebody Christ died for and wants to spend eternity with. Man, if we would pray that, Lord, everyone I see, help me to treat them like that. So another Edgewood member told me he was at Lago Marcino's before Valentine's Day. He went there to pick up some candy for his wife. This is what he writes. As the attendant reached for the heart-shaped boxes, they all came tumbling down. So a guy next to me said just one word, gravity. To which I replied, yeah, gravity's usually a good thing. He answered back that if, it were, if gravity was just off a fraction, we wouldn't exist. I replied, yes. Notice here now, he's gathering some courage, and he says this, and yes, I replied yes, and the same is true for the entire earth, which is perfectly designed. I added, I believed God made the world. <laughs> to which the guy in Laga Marcinos buying chocolate said, what church do you go to? <laughs> this Edgewood member said, Edgewood. This other guy held out his hand and he said, I do too. <laughs> I love that story. Here's why. Both of those guys were trying to witness to each other while they're under pressure to get some chocolate before they go home for Valentine's Day. I tell you that story to say, live on mission wherever you are. And that conversation started with a bunch of candy falling to the floor and just let's watch and see how God uses us. Now, because God is a going God, going also means crossing boundaries. Sometimes it's going outside of that which we find comfortable, going outside our tribe, if you will, going across the street, having dinner with an unbeliever, going to the west end of Davenport or Rock Island, going beyond our comfort zone, or going cross-culturally to another country. Go, therefore, and do what? Ah, here it is. Make disciples. Make disciples. A disciple is a learner, one who's being mentored by the master. It also denotes one who follows another's teaching. Thus, a disciple is a lifelong learner who lives out what he or she is learning from the teacher. There's one main verb, one main command in this passage, and here it is, make disciples. This is our singular imperative. But where do we do that? Jesus said, of all nations, when Jesus first sent out the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, he told them to only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But here he inaugurates this explicitly worldwide mission. 
Now, for the disciples, this would have been new and novel to them, even though this is taught in the Old Testament. Israel was to be a light to the nations. They were to share the good news with the nations. But it had become, at that time, abhorrent for them even to think about going to a pagan land. So the task of making disciples must extend where? Well, in our neighborhood and to the nations. The word nation is the Greek ethne, from which we get the word ethnic. So most of us, when we think of nations, we think of like legal nations with specific boundaries. There's some 195 countries in the world today. It certainly involves that, but it's much more than that. Ponder this. It's estimated that of the 8 billion people alive today in the world, 3.4 billion of them live in unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel of Christ. According to the Joshua Project, there are approximately 17,000 unique unique people groups in the world. So less than 200 countries, but 17,000 unique people groups with more than, this number changes, it's actually going down, with more than 7,400 of them considered unreached by the gospel. That's over 42% of the world's population. Let me say it like this. The vast majority, 85% of these least reached groups exist in this certain band across the world. It's called the 1040 window. And less than 10% of missionary work is done among these people. For the last several years here at Edgewood, we've been specifically, intentionally supporting and partnering with our Go Team partners who are focused on the least reached parts of the world. Friends, we're to make disciples of everyone, everywhere, at all times. This requires dedicated disciples who will go and others who will stay behind them with their prayers and with their pocketbooks. Well, one pastor, I've quoted this often, uh, says there are only three responses to the Great Commission. Go, send, or what's the third one? Disobey. Go, send, or disobey, which means there's only two options. We go or we send others who go. One of our everyone vision points is for everyone to engage with at least one Edgewood missionary. To make that easier, Pastor Dan worked with Marie, and we put together booklets. These are available on both tables. Encourage you to take one per family. Here's a list of all of our Go Team partners with pictures, addresses, and email addresses. I'd encourage you to pick up one and pray as you go through it and say, Lord, is there someone in here who I can partner with, somebody I can engage with, somebody that I'm committed to pray for, send notes of encouragement and possibly support as well. I fear we as American Christians have lost sight of the fact that approximately 66,000 people worldwide die without Christ every day. And they wake up in the horrors of hell. 
And sadly, for many today, Jesus is still unknown. He's unacknowledged and he's unadored. Do you know, right now, Kathleen Kehoe, a member here at Edgewood, is about to land in the Middle East where two of our young adult partners, their members here at Edgewood, are in the Middle East right now serving, and Kathleen Kehoe is going to spend a week with one of them and be able to connect with the other as well. Let's pause and pray for them. Lord, we want to pray for... E.J. and S.W., young Christ followers who had to say goodbye to family and friends and trust you to cross cultures and to serve you in in a place that is so hard and so challenging. Lord, we pray that you would expand their vision for your world Lord, we pray that you would use them in effective and tangible ways. Lord, we pray for SW who injured her knee. Lord, we pray for healing uh, for her. Pray too for Kathleen as she lands in just a couple hours. Use her to encourage these two young women, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let me share some really good news. If you go to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, and with your blood you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. There will be believers from every people group in heaven, but we must go with the gospel. This is the means of taking the gospel so that we develop disciples to the ends of the earth. Would you note next, we're to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're witnessing that this weekend. And then we're to teach them all, teach them to observe all I have commanded you. So that's why teaching, that's why preaching, that's why we take all of our classes, all of our growth groups so seriously from the nursery all the way through second winders. That's part of our commission. Friends, the last commission of Jesus must be the first mission of the church. Finally, embrace the comfort assured. The disciples, when they hear Jesus say these words, it's a daunting task, as it is for us. Jesus quickly promises his presence. Look at the last part of verse 20. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Here we see his authority to send us and his faithful assurance that he'll be with us. The entire commission is bookended with Jesus' sovereign power, all authority, and his sweet presence. I'll be with you. According to a LifeWay study on evangelism, most Christians say they're ready, willing, and praying to have conversations about their faith with others, but many admit they've not gotten around to actually having those conversations. One in seven say they try to bring up faith in conversations. More than a quarter look for natural opportunities. But here's the stat I want us to ponder. 66% of those who are religiously unaffiliated say they are at least open to having a conversation about the Christian faith with a friend. And more than two in five Christians say sharing the gospel with a non-believer is scary. Friends, every time you go with the gospel, every time you strive to live out the Great Commission, every time you have that awkward conversation, every time you seek to disciple someone, Jesus is there with you. 
And he'll be with you until the end of the age. You can count on the promise of his presence. Our goal this year is for everyone at Edgewood to reach one person for Christ. Let me ask you, who's your one? Who's that one person that you're going to pray for and spend time with? Some of our other goals are listed there. Uh, Art of neighboring. Beth and I are having a block party again today. Um, And this weekend is Anchor for the Soul Weekend. Friends, the last commission of Jesus must be the first mission of the church.